The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay, so uh, uh, second noble truth, uh, and uh, let's we just come back to the Dhamma Chakka Pavatana Sutta again, the setting in motion of the rolling forth of the wheel of the Dhamma, page 5 in your little uh, uh, pages there. Uh, and uh, so I'll just start just by, as usual, reading it out, and then we can, we'll can discuss it in a second. Uh. So this is what the Buddha says. He says, now this is the noble truth of the origin of suffering. Uh. It's the craving that leads to future rebirth, uh, mixed up with relishing and greed, uh, taking pleasure in the various different realms, uh, that is, craving for sensual pleasures, craving to continue existence, uh, and craving to end existence. Uh, so uh, that is the standard definition in the suttas, uh, yeah? And uh, craving here is said to be basically the origin, the cause uh, that leads to suffering. Uh, and uh, this is a uh, not as obvious as you think it might uh, be, what actually that means. But first of all, what is the word craving? What does it actually mean? And the Pali word behind craving is tanha. Yeah, and tanha means, literally it means something like thirst. And of course, thirst is also an English word that is used. If you have very strong desires, uh, you are thirsting for something. Yeah, it means the desire is quite is strong. Yeah. And that gives you an idea of what uh, tanha also means in Pali, what this is about. Usually it refers to very strong desires, uh, things that are very powerful drivers in human existence. So uh, sensual pleasures is mentioned here, craving for existence, yeah, these are often very strong things. Uh, uh, craving to be annihilated or craving to end existence can also be strong to the point where people may commit suicide if they, you know, if they're really desperate or whatever. Uh, so it refers to strong kind of cravings. And it doesn't refer to all craving or all desires, uh, because obviously even if you are fully enlightened or awakened, uh, you still have things, you still do things. Uh, you don't become like a rock, you just sit there. You're still driven, you still do things in life. But the, it's a more subtle kind of craving. Uh, and it's got nothing to do with sensual pleasures or uh, desire to exist. It's a subtle kind of craving to I guess, uh, you know, uh, desire just to kind of function or to, you know, you eat to survive or, or, or whatever, just to carry on or to teach or to have compassion and these kind of things. Uh, so it's a, it's a different type of craving, different objects uh, and also more refined. It's not as coarse as the craving you have here in the Second Noble Truth. Uh. So, but uh, what is interesting here is that there's a very specific kind of craving. It's a craving that leads to rebirth. Uh. That is the problematic one, yeah? So these cravings that are listed afterwards, they specifically lead to rebirth, uh, and that is the problem. Uh. So when we say that uh, a craving uh, is the source of suffering, uh, it does not mean, for example, that if you crave, you suffer. Uh, it does not mean that, uh, yeah? Uh, very sometimes you this is kind of one of the things that if you want to kind of psychologize this and make it into a psychological teaching that you, we will say that, well, if you crave, uh, then suffering comes as a consequence of that craving. Uh, so therefore, craving is the source of suffering. Uh, but actually, that's not what the Second Noble Truth says. Uh, 
it may be true, it may be true that uh, craving is the source of suffering in that sense, uh, it's, and it's not wrong. Of course, if you do crave, it often leads to problems. Uh, so it's true, but that is not what the Second Noble Truth is saying here. Yeah. It's actually saying it has to do with rebirth, uh, and that is the craving it is, it is about. Uh. So it's important to kind of, I think, to understand exactly what the Buddha is on about. Uh. And sometimes it is said that craving is, uh, 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 you know, the source of suffering, because when you crave, you s actually, not only does it lead to suffering, but you actually, it is a suffering in its own right. Uh. But uh, that is different, uh, because if craving is a suffering, uh, then it actually belongs to the first noble truth rather than the second noble truth. Uh. Yeah, w And it's true, of course, craving is a, a kind of suffering, because when you crave, uh, you are... Uh, you are separated from where you want to be, you are here, but you want to be over there, and uh, that is a state of suffering, because you don't have what you want. So craving is actually a state of suffering, but that belongs to the first noble truth, in being separated from what you like, uh, yeah, or being joined with what you don't like, or whatever, uh, not getting what you want, all of that. Uh, that is really a state of craving, where you don't get the object that you are looking for. Uh. That's a different thing, it belongs to the first noble truth. Uh. And uh, so it's important to get these things right because, uh, again, uh, the Buddhist teaching is, uh, is uh, quite specific about what it is talking about. It is the craving that leads to rebirth. Uh, yeah? And uh, w once you have understood the first noble truth, well, you can uh, see why that is the case. Because uh, in the first noble truth, we just uh, I look looking at yesterday, the idea is that it is this uh, going on in samsara, this eternal, potentially eternal rebirth process, uh, that is the problem. In brief, the five khandas, uh, yeah, the five personality factors are the problem. Now the five personality factors, uh, they are perpetuated, uh, they carry on. Why? Because of rebirth. Uh, that's why they carry on. If you don't get reborn, then the, these five khandas, they come to an end. Uh, so that is why this is the problem. This is why this is the cause of the problem, because craving is what drives these five khandhas on into the future. Uh, that's why they ca uh, can exist in this way. Uh. So it's very it's, 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 uh, specific, uh, and it's important to get that. So here you can see it is the craving that leads to rebirth. It's the Pornobhavika uh, tanha uh, that actually uh, specifically mentioned here in the sutta. Uh. It is mixed up with relishing and greed. This again is Ajahn Sujato's translation. Uh, Nandiraga Sahagata. Nandi is like relishing or delighting. And Raga is just another word for desire, really. Here, uh, Translated in different ways, greed or sometimes as lust, but really it just means desire in a general, general sense. So, uh, why does the Buddha say it is mixed up with that? Uh, well, basically, he's just giving some synonyms for craving, Yeah, what it actually uh, refers to. And uh, the suttas are full of synonyms like that. Yeah, You see the same word, the same idea, expressed from different angles all the time. Uh, and this is th the idea that you give a certain stability to the teachings. Uh, these are oral teachings, and they need that, that sort of thing to keep them stable for future generations. So you use lots of synonyms and repetition and this kind of thing here. So it doesn't really add all that much. Yeah, uh, Craving, delighting, delighting in the world. Uh, well, when you delight in things, then you crave. Uh, so that's kind of maybe one of the um, ideas behind that. Uh, 
you're delighting in this, delighting in that. Yay, wonderful, sadhu, let's crave. And then you crave. <laughs> you don't usually think that's crave, it just happens. Uh. And then you have taking pleasure in the various different realms. Uh. This is tatra, tatra, abhinandini. Abhinande is the same thing as nande in the previous one, to delight in or take pleasure in. Tatra, tatra means uh, here and there, quite literally. And uh, it means, I'm not sure why it renders it here as the different realms, because uh, I think that is, uh, uh, to me, that's a bit misleading. It just means anywhere, yeah, anywhere where you can find delight, here and there, it just means anywhere, really, wherever you, you know, kind of enjoy yourself. And uh, so it's like, you know, and this is one of the things about the sensual realm, because the sensuality is one of the main cravings here. It is kind of endless. Yeah, there's always new things to look out for. There's always new things to experience. Yeah, there's always kind of a new chef on the chef on the market kind of making some kind of fusion food of some kind of never eaten before by anyone else. And uh, th this is kind of the r this realm is to always create new things. And a lot of the creativity of the world uh, goes into precisely that, creating new sensual experiences. Yeah, This is what it is about. Uh, so you have this master chef competitions uh, who can kind of create the latest kind of thing. And you have the architects who create beautiful buildings so the city becomes beautiful. Uh, and then you have all the artists who create all the art in the world. And you have all the whatever it is. Yeah, It's always an endless idea. And uh, these creative people, they are, as I mentioned before, they're often put on a on a pedestal because why well because they create pleasure for people uh, and uh, then of course that becomes very important in the world uh. but uh, so it's important to have a global understanding of sensuality uh, to understand its limitations globally so you don't actually have to taste every possible food in the world before you kind of give up sensuality okay haven't tried kind of uh, what is it uh, French Thai fusion yet, so I'm gonna try that first, uh, and then then maybe I can you know decide that sensuality should be given up. Well, you don't have to do that uh, because you can get a global understanding of these things, uh, and then you can kind of you can give it up uh, uh, globally. Uh, that's really the point, uh, uh, because that world is endless. And uh, yeah, so I, I, and it's interesting because some of the you know some of those great teachers in the world, this is basically what they say. They you know they say oh you know. You know, people say, oh, I haven't been to see the Great Wall of China yet. I haven't kind of eaten, you know, whatever it is, uh, kind of food. And they say, you know, what's the big deal? You know, it's all the same. Yeah, it's kind of it's more of the same. Uh, slight variation on the theme. It doesn't really make much difference. Uh, eaten one kind of food, basically eaten them all. It's just, uh, it doesn't make that much difference. Uh, and as Ajahn Brahm likes to say, you know, oh, you know, what's the big deal about the Great Wall of China? Just go to the... Go go to the monastery wall and have a look at the monastery wall. That's good enough. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it is not quite as impressive as the Great Wall of China, but it kind of it does it's roughly the same thing. It's a vertical structure with it built out of rocks. Yeah, that's close enough. <laughs> and uh, there's you know, uh, the, of course, in one sense, the Great Wall of China is a very impressive structure built over hundreds of years by various emperors, and it's pretty impressive. But on the other hand, you know, it's okay. It's just another wall, really. <laughs> and it's true. Uh, so uh, there comes a point when you just turn away from that. Uh, and unless you understand this problem globally, 
uh, you're just going to carry on searching for that sensual pleasure, that final one which finally gives you real satisfaction. Well, there is no such sensual pleasure that gives you final satisfaction. You're just going to keep on looking endlessly. And that's why we're all still here, because we have been looking endlessly for these things. Uh, and that is precisely the, the problem here. So tatra tatra apinandini, searching for relishing, finding pleasure here and there, everywhere, searching endlessly for the, f you know, to find something. Actually, it never comes around. Uh. So then, uh, what are these cravings? And these three cravings are specifically sensual pleasure, craving to continue existence, uh, and craving to end existence. Uh. And as I mentioned the other day, uh, sensual pleasures is by far the most important one to overcome. The other two are much more subtle, but uh, sensual pleasure is uh, the one to really look out for because it is very sticky here. Yeah, it is very um, difficult. Why? Well, because it is pleasurable uh, and because things are pleasurable, it is hard to see the disadvantage. The mind tends to go there. Uh, and this is one of the very important reasons why uh, you need to make the spiritual path happy. Uh, yeah, uh, it is one of those, um, I think, uh, very easy, easily to go wrong, because if you don't make the spiritual path happy, if you don't enjoy your meditation, if you don't enjoy being kind and caring and compassionate and these kind of things, uh, then your mind is going to find happiness somewhere else. Uh, we all want happiness, yeah, one way or another. This is what life is about. Life is about happiness. If you can't find happiness in one place, uh, you're going to look for it somewhere else. Uh, this is just the nature of this. Uh, so if you don't enjoy the spiritual practice, uh, you're going to search for happiness in the sensual world instead. Uh, so this is why it matters so much. And you, you find that this is one of those interesting things that Ajahn Ram pointed out to me a long time ago, is that those monks, yeah, monastics, who kind of practice very great austerity, uh, they are often the ones who end up disrobing uh, Unless they are ready for those austerities, but ready means that your meditation is very profound, so you're getting your happiness anyway. Uh, but for those who practice austerities without being ready for it, uh, all they have is dukkha. Eventually the mind turns around and says, I don't want in more dukkha. Now I'd like to have some happiness, please. And they disrobe. Uh, and before they know it, they are married and they're kind of you know, enjoying uh, uh, food from Shanghai food and Hong Kong food and whatever else. Yeah? And uh, that's kind of what happens when you, uh, when you do that. You have to have happiness on this path, uh, otherwise it is, doesn't work. So what you learn on the spiritual path is not to deny yourself happiness, you learn to seek for happiness in a different place. Uh, you learn to find happiness that is more pure, that is wholesome, that is uh, conducive to peace of mind, to stillness. Uh, uh, and of course it is a far more satisfying kind of happiness in the long run. Uh, so this is really what this is about. So when we practice the spiritual life, uh, know that turning away from sensuality is not so, is a gradual thing. Uh, and often you start off by keeping the five precepts. Uh, yeah, Keeping the five precepts, you're already saying no to certain things. Uh, you're already restraining yourself to a certain extent. Uh, and that is the initial restraint when it comes to sensual pleasures, uh, is the five precepts. Uh, and then... Uh, when you go on retreat, you try to keep the eight precepts, perhaps, yeah, which is nice. Many of you do that, which is which is wonderful. And then you try to learn, because uh, the idea with keeping the eight precepts is to learn to look for happiness somewhere else. That's really what it is about. Uh, you're kind of almost forced uh, to look for happiness somewhere else. Uh, 
and that happiness is not sitting there and thinking oh tomorrow i'm going to eat this tomorrow i will be off the eight precepts yay i'm going to eat this i'm going to cook this kind of food i'm going to watch this kind of movie tomorrow and i'm going to indulge in this way and before you know it you spent your whole day just thinking about that and the buddha says that is not the right way to keep the eight precepts yeah okay sometimes you do think about these things and it's okay i you know the mind is like that uh, but you try to guide it in a different direction that is what it is all about uh, it's actually i'm just quoting the suttas yeah this is from the suttas the buddha says that you sit there thinking about these things uh, and he says that is not the not the right way here so uh, anyway so uh, that is the craving for sensual pleasures. Uh, there is no end to it, and uh, uh, because it is so sticky, yeah, it is important to deal with it at least a little bit. Uh, and it's surprising; it is not that hard to deal with it a little bit. Uh, and I will talk more about this later on: how to think about sensual pleasures in such a way that your mind kind of turns away from it. And I've given you some ideas already. I talked about before the idea of the borrowed goods. Uh, yeah, that those things that we have in the world, the things that we attach to, we only have them for a while, and then you have to give it up. Uh, yeah, that is one way of reducing that uh, sensual desire and greed, uh, because you know the limitations of these things. And there's other ways to to think about this. Uh, that is uh, that that uh, uh, is very helpful in kind of gradually, gradually moving away from this. Uh. Sensual pleasure is very sticky, uh, uh, but uh, it is. Uh, uh, the point is that there are far higher happinesses to be had, uh, and that is kind of the point of this path. Uh. Okay, then you have the craving to continue existence, uh, and this is the bhava tanha, and uh, the uh, bhava tanha uh, is um, ultimately it is just the basic fact that you want to exist. Uh, yeah, so do you want to exist? Uh? So if you want to exist, it means you're not an arahant yet. Uh, so if you if someone says, I'm going to kill you, and you say, no, please, not yet, uh, I'm not ready, then it means you're not an arahant. If you say, yeah, whatever, yeah, kill me or not, okay, then maybe you're an arahant. Uh, but otherwise, you are not an arahant yet. So most people don't want to die, yeah? It's kind of natural. Uh, and uh, so that is the main thing here yeah, about um, desire to exist. It's the kind of the root thing. Uh, but existence also has to do with existing in a certain way uh, so we also it also has to do with identity yeah we want to be a particular kind of person have a particular identity and we attach to that identity who we think we are that is also part of the craving for existence bhava you exist not only do you exist but you exist in a certain way there's a certain trait to that existence and uh, this is why you know people sometimes when they they um, uh, identity is challenged uh, they become very can become very distraught uh, and to give an example, you know, sometimes you see people, they lose all their money on the stock market uh, and then they jump off a tall building here later on. Uh, yeah? And part of that is because they identify with having a certain amount of wealth. And if all their wealth disappears overnight, uh, they feel so challenged by that and they feel their status as, you know, in society or whatever is so challenged, uh, it's not worth living anymore. And so they commit suicide as a consequence. Uh, so sometimes that identity thing can actually be very uh, important as well uh, and it can uh, be very unpleasant if it is challenged too far in this way here then there is the desire for non-existence uh, yeah and this is the desire that you had enough uh, and then uh, the unfortunate thing about that kind of desire is that you think you had enough uh, you commit suicide uh, and there you find yourself continuing on the other side uh, 
it's like a tragic tragic com tragedy comic or whatever you call it it's a tragedy but it's almost like strange at the same time uh, why is that why is it that you continue if you commit suicide uh, and the reason is because craving is so something that always looks to the future uh, yeah so that craving to see its existence is also a kind of craving that looks to a future state uh, and because it looks to a future state uh, it actually propels you onwards uh, rather than stops you where you are uh, it is this thing about uh, you know you this all craving is like that uh, it's always about the future it's where you want to be uh, and so it projects you into that future by its nature uh, so the problem here is the craving to non exist not exist uh, and that is the difference between the Buddhist path, which is a path of cessation. You don't have that craving not to exist. Uh, you just allow things to cease. Uh, and that is a uh, uh, fundamental importance on the, on the Buddhist path. Uh. So uh, that is uh, the problem with craving. Yeah? It drives onward the uh, uh, rebirth sequence. It, st uh, it sticks you. It, it keeps you stuck to the samsaric existence. Uh, and uh, for that reason, you keep on hanging around as long, you c as, long as you crave. Uh, this is the problem. And of course, as we shall see then in the third noble truth, the way out of this is to give up that craving. Yeah? Then, of course, this comes to an end. So uh, uh, that is a craving so if we are going to uh, uh, the, the problem then is well if we are going to g give up craving or, or w how do we how do we deal with this because uh, uh, if craving is the problem we have to give up craving but how can we give up craving here and to the point and this is a point i was also making yesterday or maybe the day before i can't remember all these days they kind of merge into one kind of blob after a while but uh, they you know as uh, the point here is that craving cannot be given up just at the point of craving. Uh, very often, uh, you know, you will be told in meditation practice, and this is true to some extent, but not fully perhaps, uh, is that you, uh, the way to practice the path is to end your reactions to your feelings. Uh, the reaction to feelings are always to do with either craving or aversion. Yeah? You want the feel good feelings, you want to avoid the bad ones. Uh, so at that point, if we are mindful and you are aware of your reactions, uh, then you can actually reduce craving. That's true. You can reduce craving. In fact, that's a very important part of the path to have that mindfulness, to understand that ill will is problematic, to avoid excessive desires. Uh, that is a very important part of the practice. Uh, and I will come back to this later on again. Uh, but you cannot actually end craving like that. Uh, mindfulness is not sufficient in ending craving. Why? Well, because delusion is already there. Delusion and delusion is the root problem. Uh, you think that there is a sense of self. A sense of self will always attach and crave. That's what senses of selves do. Uh, yeah? You think that there is happiness to be had in the world. Uh, so because you are deluded, even if you reduce that craving, uh, it will always come back. Uh, so the answer is, if you w want to overcome craving, you have to deal with delusion. Uh, and this is why... If you want to look at the first, the second noble truth in a more profound sense, if you want to understand it more fully, you have to come to dependent origination. Uh, and this is specifically said in the suttas. If there's a sutta called the Tenet Sutta, found in the Gutanikaya 3, uh, 61, I think it is, uh, and it uh, shows you that the alternative way of looking at the second noble truth uh, is to look at dependent origination here uh, because it takes it back further yeah instead of stopping at craving craving being the source of rebirth it goes back 
the cause of craving is feeling. It takes it all the way back to the root, which is avidja, which is delusion. Then that becomes the root cause. And avidja is something you can do something about. Because that is exactly what the Noble Eightfold Path is about. The Noble Eightfold Path, the purpose of the Noble Eightfold Path is to give rise to insight, yeah? is to give rise to Yatabhut and Anadasana, seeing things according to reality, uh, is to give rise to Vidya, to seeing things properly. That is the purpose of that path. So that is how you, that is then the root problem that we have to deal with. Uh. So this is why when we look at dependent origination in more detail, uh, you need, no, sorry, when you look at the second noble truth in more detail, you have to go to dependent origination. Uh, that shows you how this works. Uh. So that then is what I'm going to have a look at next, uh, because uh, I'm not going to go into this in great detail on this retreat. I have gone into these things in great detail before, uh, but I'm going to have a at least a um, fairly, uh, you know, uh, just enough at least so you can understand the basic idea of how dependent origination works. Uh. So. Um, uh, again, I'll just read out. This is the standard passage here on dependent origination coming up next. Uh, SN 12.1, uh, Sangyutta Nikaya, Connected Discourses. SN 12 is the 12th chapter. It is all the suttas on dependent or origination. It's called the Nidana Sangyutta in Pali, the um, Sangyutta on cause or source. And this is the first sutta. Yeah, it kind of sets out the basic background material on on dependent origination. Uh. So this is a profound teaching, uh, but uh, even though it is profound, it is you can still understand the basic ideas of how it works. Uh, even though you may not kind of fully grasp what is going on, you really have to be a stream mentor to do that. Uh, but the basic ideas are not that hard to understand. Uh. So this is how it goes. So I have heard. Uh, at one time, the Buddha was staying near Savati in Jeta's Grove, Anatta Pindika's monastery. There the Buddha addressed the mendicants. Mendicants, venerable sir, they replied. The Buddha said this, Mendicants, I will teach you dependent origination. Listen and pay close attention. I will speak. Yes, sir, they replied. The Buddha said this. What is dependent origination? Ignorance is a condition for choices. Choices are a condition for consciousness. Consciousness is a condition for name and form. Name and form are conditions for the six sense fields. The six sense fields are conditions for contact. Contact is a condition for feeling. Feeling is a condition for craving. Craving is a condition for grasping. Uh, grasping is a condition for continued existence. Uh, continued existence is a condition for rebirth. Uh, rebirth is a condition for old age, death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, sadness and distress to come to be. Uh, that is how this entire mass of suffering originates. Uh, this is called dependent origination. Uh, so... Uh, there you are. So, you get it? <laughs> so maybe I can just stop there, but, but no. But it, it's interesting, as I remember when I first read this, I thought, I thought, what on earth is this about? Especially when you start off, especially the first four factors there are really kind of incomprehensible. If you come to Buddhism the first time, uh, 
ignorance is a condition for choices. Uh, really? Okay. Choices are a condition for consciousness? Uh-huh. I, okay. Consciousness is a condition for name and form? It is utterly incomprehensible, isn't it? If you come to this, you wonder what on earth is going on there. And it's kind of Buddha's shorthand for something which is very profound. And it actually doesn't make much sense if you come to this the first time. Of course, if you've been around for a while, you start to get a feeling for these things. Uh, but initially, you wonder what on earth is going on. Uh, and um, uh, so uh, uh, for that reason, I think it is useful to uh, have a look at this. And it is actually more practical than you may think it is uh, because it shows you this process. And it, when you understand the process, you also understand what you can do about it, how it works for you, what kind of, you know, uh, you, you see something. And the more we understand about these processes, the easier it is to deal with these problems and do something about it. Uh, but uh, before I say go into the details, I just want to say a few general things about uh, this, uh, this sequence. There's 12 kind of factors in the sequence, uh, each one conditioning the next one. Yeah? And the conditioning that you see in this process is a kind of conditioning whereby if one factor exists, the following one must happen as a consequence. Yeah? When it says conditions here, it means like it isn't. <coughs> it means that it follows as a necessity. That's what it means. Uh, so if there is uh, avidja, if there is ignorance, if there is illusion at the beginning, then choices have to happen. Or if you like activities, yeah, there's another translation for this word, or volitional formations or whatever. These things have to happen if you have avidja. There is no choice. You have to choose. <laughs> so, um, and this is true for every step along here. Yeah, each one is an is a ne necessarily follows from the previous one. Uh, they have to kind of arise as a consequence. So, if there is avidja, if there is delusion, if there is this ignorance at the beginning, every step follows, and you have to suffer as a consequence. That's what this is saying. Yeah. Suffering must happen if you have avidja. So the only way to overcome this is to uh, root up the very first one and to end avidja. Because this is the other aspect of this conditionality, is that if the first one does not exist, the second one cannot exist. This is the cessation sequence. So one is a condition for the next one, means both that if A, if number one exists, then number two must exist. But it also means if one number one does not exist, number two cannot exist. Uh, yeah. So if you don't have a vidya, you cannot have suffering. Uh, that's the second aspect of this. Uh, yeah. So then that that is a very important point to understand this idea of conditionality. It's fairly straightforward, really. Uh, yeah. So uh, uh, what that means then is that when, with the sequence, we need to go back to the source to avidya, uh, and we need to deal with that uh, because then the whole thing unravels. Uh, uh, but it's also true that um, if you reduce avidja a little bit, uh, yeah, if you uh, reduce delusion a little bit, and we will talk more later on about how to reduce delusion, how to deal with that more properly. But if you reduce it a little bit, uh, that's already a positive thing. Uh, because if you reduce delusion a little bit, it means that you start to make better choices. Uh, and then as you go through the process, you have also have less suffering as a consequence. Uh, this is also one of the 
outcomes of this sequence. Yeah, you have less suffering by reducing delusion because the conditioning then is different uh, because you you are less deluded essentially. Yeah? But to overcome it completely, you have to eliminate it completely. Yeah? And really, that's the only way to end suffering. Yeah. So this is the first point about this. The second point, which we uh, had a look at, uh, mentioned the other day, is that uh, it includes rebirth. Yeah, someone asked a question yesterday about whether it is true that dependent origination covers three lifetimes, uh, and that is really true. Huh? So rebirth is part and parcel of dependent origination. Huh? It is not a psychological teaching that shows you how the mind works. Uh, it is a, uh, I mean, there is psychology in here as well. Some of the factors talk about feeling, then craving, and then taking things up, grasping. So there is a degree of psychology there, but the whole sequence as a, as a whole thing uh, is about rebirth. This process uh, happens through rebirth. Just as we have just seen in the second noble truth, porno bhavika, is a rebirth related uh, in the same way dependent origination is just about is also about that uh, this is an important part of it in fact to see that you can just uh, if you look at the next sutta on this particular page pa page five uh, and you look at the definitions there of birth yeah it's exactly the same definition we had the other day here uh, what is rebirth? And then it has a, almost exactly the same thing. Yeah, Inception, conception, reincarnation, manifestation of the uh, personality factors, acquisition of the sense fields of the various sentient beings uh, into the various orders of sentient beings. Yeah, Old age and death again. Uh, decrepitude, broken teeth, gray hair, wrinkly skin, etc., etc. So we're dealing with literal meanings of this word, not metaphorical meanings. Uh, so uh, it, it includes the idea of rebirth in it. Yeah, This is one of the important points uh, of dependent origination. Uh. And the last point of dependent origination is that uh, it is a process uh, that shows how uh, samsara and rebirth and dukkha uh, keeps on going, how it perpetuates itself uh, without any reference to a self, uh, without any reference to a an inherent essential aspect of a human being yeah yeah this is one of the other very important points of dependent origination here because uh, uh, the teaching the, the prevailing teaching at the time in india that, that it was there before the buddha was the brahmanical teachings and the brahmanical teachings which is a precursor to modern hinduism yeah it started off as brahmanical teachings and gradually became hinduism the hinduism is a, a very evolved form of the early uh, teachings we find in the suttas uh, uh, on the brahmanical side uh, and that Brahmanical teaching had a sense of self to it. Yeah, Atman and Brahman uh, were a very important part of this Brahmanical teaching. This is how they viewed the world. And in fact, um, this is how almost all religions tend to view the world. This Buddhism is very special in the sense that there is no reference to a self in Buddhism. So this dependent origination is about this process that happens without any reference to a self. Uh, it is possible to be reborn without a self. And many people find this hard to believe. How can you be reborn if there is no self? What is it that gets reborn? Don't you need something to carry through? kind of s feels like it, feels logical, but actually the Buddha says, no, you don't need that. Uh, rebirth is driven by this impersonal force of craving. Uh, you don't need anything that actually goes through it. Uh, 
And this is the radical insight of the Buddha, which changes everything uh, dramatically on how you look at life and how we look at the world. Uh, and that uh, idea that there is no self is uh, most powerfully expressed by the conditionality between consciousness and Nama Rupa. Yeah? Because the idea here is that consciousness uh, depends on name and form. Uh, name and form, you can think of it as the other aspects of your personality apart from consciousness, yeah? if you wish. Uh, and name and form depends on consciousness, but consciousness depends on name and form. Uh, there's a mutually conditioned relationship between these two that depend on each other. And if you don't have one, you cannot have the other. Uh, and what that means, that consciousness of mind cannot, there's nothing there that can exist independently of the other things. Uh, they're all conditionally dependent on other factors. Uh, and if one factor ceases, that must cease. Uh, and uh, so this is where the Buddha points to this uh, idea that uh, there is no nothing inherent there that can stand on its own. Uh, everything depends on something else. Uh, the Buddha uses the idea of two sheaths of reed. Yeah, if you have two kind of like two things leaning against each other, yeah, sheaths of reed is a uh, simile in the suttas. Uh, in other words, to just two things leaning against each other. If you take one away, the other one must fall. Uh, there's nothing there that can stand on its own. Uh, and this is that radical insight into uh, uh, into the mind that the Buddha had at that time. And I'm going to look at this in a bit more detail later on because it's very interesting. It's very profound, but also very interesting. I'm going to have a look at the Kachanagotta Sutta, which is uh, one of these very beautiful and profound suttas that have a lot of uh, uh, history in, in Buddhism. If you look at Buddhist history, it has been used a lot in philosophical discussions and all these kind of things uh, uh, because it is profound and, and fascinating. Uh, so that is... Uh, a little bit of background for you of what dependent origination is. And now I'm going to go through all the factors one by one and show you how it all fits together. Yeah, at least maybe not fully because uh, to understand it fully is quite is hard and you really have to be a stream mentor to do that. But uh, we can get the general idea of how this works. So ignorance is a condition for choices. What does that mean? So what is ignorance? Ignorance is avidja. Yeah? Avidja is a lack of seeing things according to reality. It's a delusion. And that delusion can be understood in a number of different ways. Uh, we have seen before that it is often understood as not understanding seeing rebirth or the laws of kamma or seeing the Four Noble Truths. That's one aspect of delusion. Uh, we've seen that already. Uh, but uh, So delusion comes in many particular forms. Uh, now, in the Four Noble Truths, uh, one aspect of delusion is not understanding suffering. Yeah, First Noble Truth is uh, all about suffering. Uh, so being deluded is not really understanding what is suffering in the world. Uh, and uh, this is an important aspect of delusion independent origination because when the very definition of delusion here is not knowing the Four Noble Truths. So it means not knowing suffering. Yeah, If you, again, if you look at the analysis which is the next sutta here if you go to the very beginning at the very last paragraph of that sutta as in the middle of page six the last paragraph before you get to the next sutta it says what is ignorance and it says not knowing about suffering or not knowing suffering not knowing the origin of suffering not knowing the cessation of suffering 
not knowing the practice that leads to the cessation of suffering. In other words, not knowing the Four Noble Truths. Yeah? That is the definition of avidja here. Uh. So not understanding suffering uh, is a problem. Uh. Why is it a problem? Uh? What does it do when you don't understand suffering? Uh? And what it does is that you look for happiness in the wrong place. Uh. Yeah? Because you don't understand where happiness is uh, and you don't understand where suffering is, uh, you look for happiness in the wrong place. And one of the places where you look for happiness is in the sensual realm. Uh, yeah? You search, you go into the sensual realm, you look for nice relationships, you look for certain possessions that are going to make your life secure, you look for having a, a good bank balance to kind of have a safety net in your bank balance. Uh, and I'm not saying that's wrong, it's, it's, of course, we need these things, uh, but uh, we, it's just a different way of thinking about it. Uh, you look for entertainments and things in, in life, uh, yeah? All of these things, we look for happiness there. Why do we look for happiness there? Because we don't really understand where real happiness is to be found. Uh, that's the problem. Uh. So what does that mean in practice? Well, what it means in practice is that we start doing activities. Uh, we start... Uh, and making an effort in the world. We start being creative. We start to try to create that happiness by looking for relationships, by trying to get into relationships, by getting a nice education, by uh, trying to make money and have a good job, and all of these kind of things. We do that uh, as, uh, and these are the choices, the sankharas that come from that avidja. We do that because we think it's going to create happiness for ourselves. Yeah. This is how avidja leads to choices, leads to activities, leads to the will, exerting the will and exerting our intention in the world in pursuit of happiness. If you know that happiness is not to be found there, you're not going to make those choices. Initially, you will make, start to make other choices. You'll make choices that have to do with being kind and being caring and being compassionate. Uh, yeah? And eventually, you don't make any choices at all. Why? Because choices themselves are suffering. Uh, that is how choices come to stop. Uh, yeah? Because you understand choices is actually a problem. Uh, it's not something that you want to do. That is the other side of the coin. That is the reverse side of things. Uh, and that is what you start to see in your meditation practice. Uh, when you really calm down... Uh, when you become very still inside, finally you start to see real happiness in your life. Now you understand what happiness really is. Uh, because you it's one of those fascinating things. You start to understand how deluded you have been all this time, running after these things, trying to create happiness in the external world. But actually, that happiness is to be found within, in peace and stillness. Uh, when the craving is gone... What happens? You find real meaning, yeah? Because craving is this really the search for meaning, always looking for it somewhere else. Uh, when craving is gone and you feel completely fulfilled, by definition, you have found the meaning of life. Uh, so this is the astonishing thing. You let go of the choices, uh, there is no problem anymore. And it all comes from the wrong pursuit of happiness in the wrong place. Uh, so that is one very important part of this avidja. You look for happiness in the wrong place. Uh, Another aspect of this avidja, this delusion, yeah, when we talk about understanding suffering, uh, we're also talking about at the same time uh, un understanding impermanence and non-self. Uh, these are the three characteristics of existence, uh, the, the tilakana, 
and they always go together. They're very closely related to each other. Huh? Yeah, if um, uh, they, they're almost they are basically the same insight, just looked at from different angles. Whether it's the insight into happiness and suffering, the insight into permanence and impermanence, or self and non-self. Uh. So, because we have a feeling of a self, yeah, I don't know if you feel you have a sense of self. You, you probably do, even if you're not aware of it, you do have a sense of self. This is what the Buddha points out. We may not even have a word for it, uh, but it's there. It is part of the psychology of any being, uh, that you have a feeling, that you exist in a certain way. Uh. And because you have this sense of self, you feel that you have a power to, make, to influence things in the world. Uh, yeah? You have the power to make things happen. Uh. Yeah, so you think, not only do you, do you know where happiness is, yeah, or you think you know where happiness is, uh, maybe you don't, but, but you think so, and you feel that you have the power to do something about it, uh, those two things together make you act in the world, make you pursue that happiness, uh, make you look, try to find uh, pleasure in things that, according to the Buddha, are not really pleasurable. Uh. This is how it works, uh, yeah? And when you think about it, it's actually quite, uh, it, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Uh. And uh, not only that, but you also identify with the doer. I'm sure, you know, we all sometimes get the sense of happiness out of doing things, uh, feeling that we are creating, we've made something nice. Yeah, look at, you know, I, you have su succeeded through your creative activities. Of course, that gives a sense of satisfaction. Why? Because you identify with the doer. That's why it gives a sense of satisfaction to do things. Uh, and some people are just uh, really big-time doers. They kind of do, 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 because they identify so strongly with the doing in their life. Uh, so this is the problem, yeah? Once you have a vidya, you start doing for these two reasons. And once you start doing, uh, there's two kinds of doings. You can classify doings into two kinds. Uh, you can classify them into doings that are wholesome doings, uh, coming from a good heart, uh, coming from good motivations, trying to be kind, trying to do all the right things, yeah? And then bad motivations, which are when you are have, you're acting from ill will, you're acting from selfishness, you're acting from delusion, yeah? These are two separate kind of doings. Uh, and because uh, we tend to pursue sensual pleasures in the world, if that is where we see meaning, that is where we see happiness, uh, you can imagine if someone else stands in the way of your sensual pleasures, uh, yeah, you're fighting for the same partner, maybe. This part, uh, you know, we tend to be kind of, we like the same kind of people in this world, so we tend to kind of, we fight for the same partners. Well, that, once you kind of start, when someone else is standing in the way of your happiness, what do you do? You start to do nasty things. Uh, this is how the world works, yeah? Someone is standing in the way of your, this is my happiness, sensual pleasures lies over there, you are standing in the way, I'm going to get rid of you, yeah? Take what it does, I'm going to get rid of you, yeah? This is how life often works. Uh. And then we do things, or at work, yeah, you are, perhaps we are all kind of trying to kind of advance at work and get a higher salary or whatever, uh, and then we kind of do not maybe nasty things to our co-workers to put them off or to make them look bad or we say bad things about them. I don't know what uh, we do for these kind of reasons, yeah? If I feel a bit threatened by Ajahn Nisarano, then I might say bad things about him so he doesn't advance too fast, uh, no. <laughs> No, I would never do that. That was, that was exactly what we try to avoid in monastic life, yeah, because it, is, it doesn't make any sense in a monastic setting. We try to avoid that uh, kind of uh, comp competitiveness. But even in monasticism, you find that kind of competitiveness. You find it because even in monastic life, there are hierarchies, yeah. 
especially sometimes in Buddhist countries, very kind of pyramid-shaped hierarchies, uh, and people are trying to climb those hierarchies. It naturally brings out the worst in people when you have hierarchies that you have to climb. Uh, it brings out bad qualities. Why? Because that's, you know, you fight. Hierarchy means power. Power means you get to do what you want, so everyone wants to have power, and then you kind of, you become stupid as a consequence. Uh, so hierarchies are bad, and uh, it's interesting that the early way the Sangha was organized was completely flat. Yeah? There was no hierarchy within the Sangha. There weren't even abbots in the monasteries in the early days. It was completely flat. Everyone had an equal vote. And uh, that's the Buddha's way of organizing things. Yeah? No hierarchy here. It's kind of very interesting and very fascinating. Yeah? So, uh, but uh, anyway, so uh, the, we, we do bad things because we compete. Yeah? We're trying to get the same thing. The pie is only so large. If you get a larger slice, maybe I will get a smaller one. Yeah? And uh, th this is kind of the problem in the world. Uh. So we do bad things, or sometimes we do good things. Uh, yeah? If you are, depending on, on the circumstances, sometimes you do good things in the pursuit of the pleasures of the world. Uh, it just depends on the situation. Uh. And this is how you may end up making good and bad karma. Yeah? You, 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 your choices, depending on what kind of choice you have, and that intention you have, that motivation you have, affects your mind. Uh. This is how it affects consciousness. Uh, yeah? This is why choices are a condition for consciousness. Because if you do a lot of bad karma, you're dragging your consciousness down. Uh, you feel bad about yourself. You feel heavy. You feel kind of sad or you feel miserable. Yeah? The more bad things you do, the worse you feel about yourself. Uh, and the opposite is also true. If you start to understand that actually, let me not be so utterly concerned with sensual pleasures. Let me uh, live more of a spiritual life. Let me try to be more kind. Okay, if I make that promotion at work, who cares? It doesn't really matter. If it comes, it comes. If it doesn't come, it's okay. Let me be kind instead. Yeah? You start to think about life in a new way. Yeah? Then, of course, you make more good karma. Yeah? And actually, if you keep on living well all the time, always... Uh, taking the idea of sila to the highest possible level, uh, you create, can create enormous amounts of good karma. Yeah? Always thinking in the right way, taking every opportunity to speak in a kind way, and, and all of this. Uh, you can build up your mind very quickly, and you make your consciousness brighter, uh, more beautiful, lighter. Uh, you feel more happy and content inside. You're lifting, you're allowing your mind to, to soar. Yeah? This is what it means to have a mind that soars up and becomes bright and light and beautiful in this way. Uh, this is the opposite. Again, your consciousness is affected. Uh, yeah? this is consciousness here is really uh, a way of thinking about the mind, a particular way of thinking about the mind. So your consciousness is affected by your choices. Uh, and your consciousness starts to kind of, you know, you are increasing that you're changing the baseline of your consciousness of course the consciousness fluctuates how we feel about it fluctuates all the time but there's like a baseline that we come back to and we're trying to lift up that baseline uh, allowing it to become more uh, become higher if you like uh, yeah and we avoid trying to drag ourselves down uh, this is a uh, consciousness uh, being affected by choices uh. and uh, then uh, when you come to the end of your life, uh, then your consciousness will have a certain level, depending on how you have lived. Uh, yeah? So you have either you have lived well and you have lifted yourself up, you have lived badly, you've dragged yourself down, or you are kind of at an even level, roughly where you started out. Yeah? These are really the three kind of rough categories that are possible. Uh, if you have lived really well, you have lifted yourself up. And these are called vinyana titi. Titi is a station. 
the station of consciousness is a word we find in the suttas. Your consciousness is stationed at a higher level, yeah? And or you drag it down, you have a lower station of consciousness. Uh, and that station of consciousness, uh, that is where you continue when you die. Yeah? This is why, how Kama works, yeah? Then uh, you, your consciousness continues at that level into your next life. Uh, that is, so you are stationed at that level. You are now stationed at a higher level, you continue where you are. Yeah? That is really the idea of Kama, how Kama gives rise to a certain rebirth. Uh, yeah, often people think kamma sounds like a, a miracle, sounds really weird. Uh, but if you think about it in this way I mentioned now, actually it feels kind of logical almost that it should work in this way. Yeah, yeah? where you are at, that level of consciousness carries on into the future. Yeah? So this whole process I've been talking about now really is the process of kamma vipaka. The idea of doing actions and then reaping the results in this way here. Yeah? Yeah, this is really how it works. And when we talk about Kama Vipaka, one of the most useful ways of thinking about it is the Kama in this life, or the Kama Vipaka in this life. Uh, the Buddha often talks about three kinds of Vipaka, or three kinds of results. Uh, yeah? The result in this life, uh, the result in your next life, uh, and the result in future lives. Uh. But the most interesting one is actually the results in this life, uh, because that affects your spiritual practice right here and now. And that is what I'm talking about here. Now this is the Kamma Vipaka in this life, uh, whereby you affect your consciousness right here and now. Uh. And I will really recommend you to look at that very carefully here. Uh. Yeah, because what you will find if you watch your mind, you watch your actions carefully, you will see that there is a direct link between your intention your motivation, yeah, by intention I mean your, you know, I want to be kind or I want to be nasty, yeah, that's your intention, yeah, there's a direct link between that intention and motivation and how you feel about yourself, uh. yeah, watch that, uh, because it becomes a very powerful motivation for uh, living with kindness. Sometimes you just want to be kind to somebody, yeah, and how do, what does it feel like when you really want to be kind to someone else? Uh? Most people will say it feels good, yeah, it feels really nice to act with kindness towards somebody. And the reason why it feels good is precisely this Buddhist idea of Kama Vipaka. You're coming from a good place, you want to be kind to somebody, it feels good to be kind. Also, if you do something a little bit nasty to somebody, yeah, you take revenge or whatever, often it feels bad. Yeah. So the more you can see this, and now it's very much better to see this rather than just believing it. So if you can see this happening in your own mind, then you get a very strong motivation for living the spiritual life. Why? Because the only person you're letting down by living in a bad way is yourself. You're dragging yourself down. Do you want to drag yourself down? Do you want to be kind to yourself or do you want to be your own enemy? Do you want to be your own friend or do you want to be your own enemy? That's the question. And if you are, you know, even remotely got your senses, got any, you know, if you have just a little bit of wisdom, everyone wants to be their own friend. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to be your own enemy. So uh, be your own friend. Understand what it means from a Buddhist point of view to be your own friend. This is what it means. Uh, lift yourself up. Uh, be kind to yourself. Create happiness for yourself in this way. Uh, then you are friendly with yourself. Uh. So this is the process of uh, kamma that you see here in action. Uh. And then because you have lifted up your consciousness, when the point when you die, you get reborn at that level, that is how the kamma also affects your future existence. Yeah? So there's three kammas again, the kamma that ripens in this life, that ripens in your next life. Here you see the kamma, how it ripens in your next life. Uh, because you have lifted your consciousness up, it carries on at that level when you die. That's where it moves, moves along. Yeah? And uh, 
then when it moves along uh, into your next life uh, then that consciousness then becomes the condition it says here for name and form uh, and name and form here is a, a a way of talking about the other aspects of your personality apart from consciousness yeah the other khandas sanya perception feelings uh, the body uh, and also sankharas once you are uh, reborn in a certain realm then these other aspects of your personality they have a certain limit placed upon them uh, yeah if you get reborn in a devaloka these nama rupa can only they, they have devaloka qualities to them uh, yeah they're more happy they are better you have certain perceptions that belong to that realm uh, so they are limited according to where consciousness establishes itself uh, that is what it means that consciousness uh, uh, conditions uh, nama rupa name and form uh, if you get reborn in the human realm, you can expect certain feelings, perceptions, uh, sankharas, etc. Why? Because that is, the that is what it means to be reborn in the human realm. Uh, if you get reborn as a kangaroo, you get kangaroo kind of mental states. Yeah. <laughs> if you get reborn as a uh, polar bear, you get polar bear kind of qualities. Oh, I. So I. <laughs> Whatever, yeah, so we get reborn in the kind of even worse realms, you get the qualities in those realms. So once you are reborn in a certain realm, then the kind of mental qualities you can have are limited. They are, they have a, a kind of a, you know, they, they have a, uh, what is the right word? They have a restrictions on them, yeah, restrictions or a certain scope for expressing themselves or whatever, yeah, and that is uh, the, the, the the problem there. Yeah. So that is how then that rebirth happens and how one leads on to the next one. Yeah. Anyway, it's already a couple of minutes past 10 o'clock. Yeah. So uh, I will continue with the dependent origination this afternoon. I will show you how all the rest of the factors work. Yeah. Uh, but for now, just please continue uh, to enjoy yourself. Uh, have a nice lunch and I will see you back again at 2 o'clock. Yeah.